Welcome to COVID-19, The Path Forward. I'm Jack Leslie, Chairman of Weber Shandwick. And today I'm joined by Carol Perlman, who is the director of the Wiseman Science Garden, the first completely open air science museum in Mexico City. She's a pharmaceutical chemist and a biologist from the National Autonomous University of Mexico and a science communicator. Carol's been a leading voice in Latin America on the COVID-19 pandemic, so we're very, very happy you could join us today. Thanks, Carol, for, for taking the time. Thank you, Jack. Thank you for inviting me. You know, before we dive into COVID-19 and what's going on in the region, I thought maybe you could take a moment and talk to us a little bit about yourself. You've dedicated your life to finding ways to make science kind of relevant for everyone. And we were just saying that that skill is needed more now than, than ever. Where does the passion come from? Well, I think since 1969, when we reached the moon, we hadn't had so much interest in science than now during the pandemic. And since I was a little girl, I wanted to go into science. I was amazed about the world, about how it worked, the human body. Science, science in every aspect astonishes me. And I think how science explains how we see the world and what we see in the world is what made me study science. I wanted to, make, to be a medical student, but then I decided to go into chemi chemistry school after I won the Olympiads for Mexico. And I was in Argentina too. I, I won the third place uh, for chemistry for Mexico. I, I got my bronze medal. And so that got me into chemistry. And since I've been working for science communication, Jack, you know, science is part of our culture and culture is for all and by all. So I think we should all agree that science makes us better citizens. It sure does. And tell us a little bit about the Science Garden in, in Mexico City. Well, yes, that was a great initiative from the Weizmann Institute in Israel, where they developed a science garden in, in their campus in the, at the Weizmann Institute in Rehovot in Israel. And so they have many exhibits outdoor exhibits, and that makes children, all the visitors, engage in a different manner with the exhibits in a more freely way. Also, building a science garden is less expensive than building a museum with walls and, 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 and all the management and all the implications of having a structured museum. So having an outdoor museum gets the feeling of being in an outdoor garden to play, but the exhibits are well planned, so the children and the visitors, while they engage in the exhibits, they also learn, and through experience, they enhance their science literacy. That's great. That's great. Well, let's move on to, to COVID. You know, the media here in the States has most recently been driven by the raging pandemic in India, but it's also right now a crisis in so many Latin American countries. It's starting in Brazil now in countries like Argentina, Colombia, Mexico. I was, I was noting that the latest data has Latin America accounting for 30% of the world's COVID-19 deaths, and yet it only makes up approximately 8% of the world's total population. So talk to us about what do you think is driving this resurgence of COVID-19 across the region? Well, Jack, I think what's happening in Latin America is, um, has multiple causes. It's not one cause only. You know, um, we see the COVID-19 pandemic provoked 
the deepest global recession since the Second World War. The global GDP contracted by 3% last year, according to The Economist. However, by region, as you say, Latin America had one of the worst performances with its GDP falling by 7%. And the explanation of this performance relates mostly to the public health management of the pandemic. You know, the, vir the, the virus is raging unchecked, underreported, and underdiagnosed. And although we have efforts in vaccination, it's slow, and most of these countries are not producing their own vaccines. So they are dependent on all the contracts they got from external production or from the COVAX uh, mechanism, which is very important. However, vaccination is slow, the rate is slow, and we have uh, new variants emerging, principally the Brazilian variant P1, which uh, is confirmed to have more transmissibility and some evasion from immunity. So although Latin America had the longest lockdown, and some like Peru, Argentina, and Chile are also having the strictest measures during lockdowns, that had also a huge impact on their economies for many, many reasons. And also the virus encountered an underfunded and underprepared health system, healthcare systems. And not only the workplace was interrupted in countries like Bolivia, Mexico, and Venezuela, kids have not returned yet to in-person schooling. So like, for example, in Mexico, they are estimating a dropout of at least 8% for elementary students. And well, now we're seeing how the Uruguay, which had a marvelous management and control early in the pandemic, is seeing 30% of its cases from this variant. From the variant, you know, Brazil has borders with many other countries in South America. So the virus is crossing its borders very easily. And I think this is this is in contrast with the slow vaccination process, it's making all this surge of cases we see in Colombia, ICUs getting, getting um, full, no? Yeah. Well, you know, I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago, and they said, when I asked them about what lessons they'd learned from the pandemic, they said, well, science overperformed and leadership underperformed. <laughs> and Peter Sands, who I interviewed in our last podcast, said, you know, if you did a study of leadership and its impact on the pandemic, you'd see a direct correlation. How do you rate the leadership in Latin America? You know, it started with, at least here, the press really focused on Brazil first and President Bolsonaro sort of being one of the early pandemic deniers. Is it all leadership or is there something else going on in the, in the region? Well, I'm not a political analyst. However, I agree with what you said. I mean, science works and we do know how to get things done in science. But for science to really impact society, it needs government. It needs public leaders to listen. So the work has to be done in tandem. You know, scientists can warn us, even discover how to get us out of the problem, which is doing so with the vaccine. But if our politicians are not willing to understand scientific evidence, then it's like an echo in a vacuum. And we saw that exactly at the beginning when some leaders in Latin America started to falsely claim that the virus was like influenza or that the virus was not even uh, a threat or even the Brazilian president saying that we didn't need 
masks. A Mexican government also said that people should go out and protect themselves with some religious uh, medals. Or... Medals, exactly. So I think that got many people confused. And when and you're an expert in communication, so you should know better than anyone that you have to communicate very clear messages for people to understand. And we were living and we are still living a threat as a threat to health, to, to lives. So I think that the messaging is so important and it has to be so, so clear. And, you know, the challenges we have in Latin America as, are not equal to the challenges we see, for example, in the United States. We, we now see that from the 1.3 billion doses administered to date in the world, Latin America has only administered 6% of those. Uh, that's according to our world in data. And according to Ipsos, uh, they did a poll in February, 88% of Brazilians and 85% of Mexicans were willing to get a vaccine. So we really don't have much hesitancy in Latin America to get vaccines. And science got us vaccines. However, the vaccine to really work, it needs to get into the arms of people. Yeah. So people want vaccines. Now we have to really get them. Yeah, that's interesting that hesitancy is, I didn't realize that, that it's so much lower in a country like Mexico than it is in the in the U.S. Um, well, let's talk a, a bit about the vaccine rollout and distribution, because you've been very strong and there's a strong voice for uh, getting vaccinated. COVAX, we've talked to our listeners before about it. It is a means of of trying to pool the purchasing of vaccines for low and middle income countries. And it's to date probably not getting out nearly as many as as they had hoped. What are can you talk about what are some of the, the challenges to access, particularly facing Mexico? Is it just money? Is it manufacturing? There's right now a whole debate over intellectual property. But in your estimation for the region and for Mexico, Specifically, what's holding up access to vaccines? Well, production. First is production. So access, the countries needed to have access. They, they are not independent in, in vaccine production. Most of the vaccines, well, Mexico was, was a vaccine producer, but it stopped its vaccine independency. So now we have to rely on external sources and to imports. And so... Uh, Mexico, for example, has a rollout managed by the government and has not really relied on other kind of venues to really get vaccines out there. Mexico has a populist government and has prioritized the poor and has come up with its own unconventional approach with no apparent epidemiological foundation. You know, vaccinating rural communities where the virus circulation is lower than the hardest hit urban areas is not probably the most useful way of starting a vaccination program. And although rightly giving priority to healthcare workers and the elderly, they left out medical doctors from the private sector. So distribution has been limited only to the government, and this is making the rollout slow. Like, for example, now we have administered 26 million doses. I mean, we have 26 million doses in stock and only administered 19 million. So we have like seven, 7 million just hanging there. 
Right. And do you have a sense of what's going on in some of the other countries in the region? I'm interested. I mean, we can talk about a few of them individually. Colombia lately has really been going through terrible time. I mean, not only all the economic setbacks that came from the pandemic and the lockdown that you mentioned earlier, but real rioting that's been going on in many of the major cities in, in Colombia. What is going on there with respect to vaccinations? Do you know? Yes, vaccination is going, however, slow. Again, the constraint also in Colombia is availability. It's not demand, it's supply. And the problem with the riots are also independent to really growing cases because uh, the president, um, although he took away, you know, the tax reform that he proposed the April 28th, Right. The, the, the riots are continuing and the violence is continuing and the cases are raging. I've talked to several medical doctors in, in Colombia and they say the ICUs are filling up. And although vaccines are, are being put to the elderly, it's not enough. You know, we cannot really relax our measures like we saw in Uruguay. In Uruguay, they had a very very important effort in vaccination. It was the country with the most vaccines applied in Latin America. And in February, they had their summer vacations. People relaxed and uh, really thought that the COVID-19 was over. And then we saw this increase in cases, which is still raging the country. So, so I think we have to learn from that experience and not relax any of the measures. We see here in Mexico several weeks already, I think it's seven weeks, with constant descent of cases. And people are starting to do things we miss, no? like gatherings and birthdays and weddings. However, we are really, really, really hesitant of what's going to happen with all these, these relaxing of measures. We don't want to see what we saw in Chile, we, uh, which had a larger covering from uh, the vaccines than we do in Mexico. Also, right. a very interesting point is Brazil. You know, Brazil was able to vaccinate 10 million people against polio very quickly, you know, and now they cannot meet that goal because, I mean, the, the vaccination process and all the programs are there in Brazil. The problem is they don't have access to COVID-19 vaccines. What are the vaccines that are getting into the region? Well, Pfizer, Pfizer is delivering some vaccines in Brazil, in Uruguay, in Peru, also in Colombia and Chile and hmm. in Mexico. However, most of the vaccines that uh, in Latin America are from AstraZeneca, of course, AstraZeneca. Mm. And there are some filling, uh, vaccine filling made by uh, Argentina and Mexico in collaboration, which probably in a month will be ready to distribute. This was an effort from Carlos Slim. And so he arranged for Argentina to produce AstraZeneca and then in Mexico do the filling and together have enough uh, supply for the region, but it ha it got delayed, so we don't have that AstraZeneca uh, ready, but it will get to Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, Chile, Colombia, Peru, not Venezuela, but mostly from Russia, 
you know, Sputnik from Russia is delivering to Argentina and Venezuela and Mexico. And the Chinese vaccine, which I want to stress out this point uh, specifically, Sinopharm and Sinovac are going uh, through the region. Also, Argentina, Peru and Bolivia are getting Sinopharm and Sinovac, Brazil, Uruguay, Colombia, Mexico, Ecuador and Chile. And I wanted to stress a point there from the from the Chinese vaccines, Jack. I think there is a very important lesson. We we should see, uh, start looking at, at this uh, wonderful island in Africa, Seychelles. Yeah. Um, they have over sixty percent of its people vaccinated. Okay, and somehow they have cases skyrocketing. Right. And 37% of those cases are occurring in people that are fully vaccinated. So the big question is with which vaccines? And the answer is they have been using Covishield, which is the AstraZeneca made in India, and Sinopharm, which is an inactivated vaccine made in China. So the important, the important message here is we don't really just need to do our homework and get vaccines in arms. We also need to ask ourselves, which are the best vaccines for my population, depending on the kind of variants we have circulating in our country? So I think that's a very important lesson, what's happening in Seychelles. Yeah, I agree. The, because the, as you say, the efficacy of some of these vaccines are very different with the new variants and substantially lower uh, with some of the real variants of of concern. And in the Seychelles, too, I understand because it's a relatively small place, the impact of virus coming into the country through tourism and so forth is is something that um, they're watching they're watching carefully. I want to go back to something that you talked about earlier, and that's really what you're a specialist in, which is educating people and communicating to them about science. Do you have thoughts on why there is or was this, it's I think less now perhaps, but the skepticism that existed, you know, first about, is it really a hoax? And then later the whole issue of masks and whether they were necessary. In your mind, what drives this kind of skepticism? Uncertainty, Jack, uncertainty. We love certainty. We love when journalists, politicians, or whoever can give us answers. And in the beginning, we didn't have answers. We only had questions. So whoever had answered answers, even if the answers weren't the correct ones, then they got space. They got some ears, you know? So I think that's important. You know, science is based on questions and is based on uncertainty. We, as scientists, never say never and never say always. We only give, we only, we always allow some space for, you know, more evidence or to, at the beginning, we didn't say that we needed masks. Now we really encourage people to wear masks because we know that COVID-19 is an airborne virus. So we really do need to protect ourselves with masks. So, you know, science is built on questions and science uh, relies more on those questions than on the answers for those questions. And the public, the general public people, we love answers, we love certainty. So I think that clash made a lot of people 
really um, not trust science. Right. And I don't know how much uh, this is prevalent in Mexico, certainly is in the United States, misinformation that is, or malinformation even, that's going out in social media circles particularly um, to certain clusters. It may sound like it might be less in Mexico, given that your hesitancy is far less, but but we're finding that there's a fairly sophisticated, you know, use of this misinformation going out to certain groups that may be more predisposed to not wanting a vaccine, whether it had nothing to do with COVID. They, they were vaccine hesitant before COVID. What's going on in the region with respect to this kind of misinformation? Now in the social media era, Everything goes everywhere and through all the social platforms, which were very helpful because we saw medical doctors and scientists come forward and start to be science communicators to give some sense to all of what we were living. At the same time, we saw an infodemic. Yes, we did. And we're still looking at all those posts, but I think they're starting to wane and people are starting to see with their own eyes how people are getting vaccines and they're fine and they're walking around. Remember, Jack, that vaccines are given to healthy people. So I think one of the priorities when we make vaccines is to really, really watch for safety. We give vaccines to healthy people. So I think that's a priority. And when we see causes like we saw with AstraZeneca or with Johnson & Johnson, instead of giving us more hesitancy and questions, it should give us confidence that work is being done to assure uh, safety. Okay, so right. I think we need more context and we need to understand how misinformation is harming us. And we need to also, I think, ask the question. And I ask this question every day when someone calls me and asks me, should I get vaccinated or not? I tell them, why wouldn't you protect yourself from a disease that can leave sequelas to 80% of people that recovers and can kill you? Why wouldn't you get protected, right? And so then the second question is, okay, which vaccine should I choose? Which one should I choose? And sometimes, I mean, it's not the case right now in the United States, but here in Latin America, it is. So I say it's not a buffet. We are not allowed to choose yet. You get whatever you can get because whatever you can get is going to be a life insurance. So you want to get the life insurance. And I think, too, that's obviously faith in the government institutions that authorize these vaccines, that uh, give people a sense that they've, there's been extensive testing. Are there differences in the United States? There have been real market differences. Uh, some have even called it the politicization of, of vaccines, but between Republicans and Democrats or between rural and urban. You mentioned rural earlier. Are, are you finding those kinds of divisions in Mexico or is, are rural Mexicans more hesitant about getting the vaccine than urban residents? No. No, 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 no. And we really want to keep it this way. <laughs> People <laughs> really want their vaccines. They, they trust vaccination. And, you know, usually here in Mexico, I'm talking about Mexico specifically, all the children's vaccines, you know, polio and, and hepatitis and TB and the rest of the vaccines, they, they, they get into the arms of children. I mean, it's a practice. 
no one really questions it. So we're happy about getting people vaccinated and people really want to go and get it. The problem is distribution, allocation and access. That's right. our bottleneck. Right. That's our bottleneck. Well, we're 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 coming to the to the end here. I thought maybe we could talk just for a moment about lessons learned. You know, I think we can all agree that the last year and a half has provided a lot of lessons for the scientific community, for the private sector, for government leaders. What would you sum up as perhaps the biggest lessons learned from the pandemic response in Latin America? First of all, Jack, global challenges need global solutions. Coordination, cooperation is crucial. We learned that the virus, when it's somewhere, it's everywhere. You know, in medieval times, pathogens travels by horses or ships. But in this globalized and intertwined world, a problem somewhere is a problem everywhere. And let's talk about climate change. So I think we should really learn our lessons. We share this planet. So we really, really need to think globally and not only locally. And another lesson, if you let me share another, another lesson, sure. is what we talked about, uh, the importance of science and science communication and the importance of uh, science literacy. Because scientists, as I said, can warn us, but we also need society and we need our politicians to understand science and make it available for it to really impact society. And lastly, the pandemic taught us how to better manage risk and uncertainty. And I think those are abilities that we should cherish. Usually we love data and to assess situations, we want information to know more and more and more to take decisions. However, COVID-19 taught us that we can also gather evidence while we fly a plane and adjust the route as long as we are flexible. So I think flexibility is the takeaway. And finally, we need to address inequality because you know, the Latin American region really has been harmed because of these inequalities. Well, those are all terrific points to, to end on, Carol. I really want to thank you. It's been a fascinating half hour, and we appreciate you taking the time to educate our audience on what's going on in Mexico and throughout the region. So thank you very much for, for joining us. Thank you, Jack. And I hope everyone is masking up and taking care. We're still in a pandemic. We're almost over. We're nearer to the end. So thank you. So that's, uh, that's all we have for now to our listeners. Until next time, stay safe and stay healthy. Mm -hmm.